0: Hello, I'm your host Jack Perks and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. In today's episode I'm going to be interviewing Austin Ferguson who's a fellow underwater photographer and has an interest in fish particularly Pacific salmon which he has taken some absolutely stunning images of. But before I do that we're going to have a look at the news. So in the sixth podcast we spoke to Peter Cooper about rewilding and reintroductions and things like that and it seems only fitting that white-tailed sea eagles have been seen all over England the past few weeks. Now some of those were introduced, uh, purposely reintroduced I should say, uh, whereas others are actually flying over from the continent so there is a mixture of eagles. Now Forestry England and the Roy Dennis Wildlife Foundation reintroduced six young eagles to the Isle of Wight with a five-year plan to add 60 more birds to that. So young eagles roam over massive distances One of the eagles stayed around Oxfordshire, feeding on carrion, much like the red kites in the area. Uh, Another one flew uh, around the south, kind of to East Sussex, to Kent and places like that, while another one went to Norfolk. Um, Two of them then met up and passed through Nottingham, and they actually uh, flew over Atom and H-Reserve near me. No one saw it, but we know by the tags attached to the eagles that they did that, so it's really exciting to know that an eagle passed uh, quite close to where I live and then they've headed to North Yorkshire. So it just goes to show the distances that eagles will fly when they are young. They've gone from the Isle of Wight all the way up to North Yorkshire and all over the place in between. Now they've got a pretty varied diet. Most assume they only eat fish because they're sea eagles, but they spend a lot of time inland as well, and they can stay inland. And it's quite seasonal, so fish tend to make up uh, their food in the spring, but they'd also prey on water birds, waterfowl, carrion, that makes up a good, good proportion of their diet. And of course, these birds were present in England. We always think of Scotland for eagles, but sea eagles would have been all along the English coastline uh, and and further inland as well. And they're a missing part of our heritage. The other thing to think about, of course, is the monetary gains as well. Uh, Sea eagles account for five million pounds of tourism alone in Mull. So I'm all for bringing the sea eagles back and I can't wait till then I'm walking along my local park and potentially seeing eagles soaring above me now to get to the the meat and potatoes of today's podcast i spoke to austin ferguson about his work with pacific salmon so hello to you austin um how's the lockdown been for you so far
1: um yeah i mean i think like everybody else it's been it's well it's been quite challenging particularly with the the lovely weather we've been having uh, and and then obviously you know with with this uh, with the wildlife filmmaking industry in particular taking quite a big of a, a quite a big hit um you know everything's kind of come to a, a grinding halt with a bit of an, an uncertain um immediate future um so i think yeah i mean it, uh, just sort of making the the best of it the best of my uh, one outings a day um and, and trying to get as much um, sunshine as possible fairly lucky living in the city center of bristol we've got queen square just uh stones throw away from the the flat so that's kind of where we frequent most, uh, most days, but it's challenging. Uh, we live in quite a, a small studio, so, um, really kind of maximizing those, those, uh, one walks a day basically is, is kind of the, the key to this all and, uh, and just staying busy as, as much as you can, as much as you can.
0: Yeah. You've got to keep your mind busy and just kind of keep occupied, I guess, haven't you? Yeah. So, as as many people listening have probably worked out, you're not originally from the UK. So what? Well, where, whereabouts are you from, and then what what brought you over to the UK?
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm from uh, the Pacific Northwest, uh, uh, specifically Washington State um, in in America. I, I grew up on a, a small island off of Seattle. Um, so I just tell people Seattle because nobody's going to know Bainbridge Island. But um, that was that's kind of where I I grew up, uh, and uh, and I came over here for uh the and natural history photography course that you and i both graduated off of um in 2015
0: uh and uh, haven't left <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wasn't i wasn't saying that as if well you, you know, I know i know brexit's happened but we're not we're not kicking yeah. everyone uh, out <laughs> just yet um and obviously one of the things that brought you to to my attention i went to your graduation but you you weren't at you weren't at the um the exhibition were you there was there was an exhibition for your work i remember seeing your work and think wow what's this who's this guy and then kind of along the road we kind of crossed paths so pacific salmon of that was your project you've done a lot of work with them but but why salmon why pacific salmon
1: pacific salmon are the lifeblood of the pacific northwest basically growing up in um in the pacific northwest uh, i've always known that they've you know been crucial to, to the environment, uh, and, and many, many different species, humans included, uh, to that area. They're um, a keystone species, so I believe it's 135 other species rely on them, um, or just over over that. So they're, they're pretty important, um, and kind of uh, my, my final project that I, I did for university, um, I, w- I wanted to kind of e- explore that kind of dig deep into into what that actually means um and what they mean to the um uh, the pacific northwest
0: well what what caught my eye with your work which i don't think anyone's really emulated in the uk is like you say that wider picture where you've because you know, you've done things like with bears and other animals that are feeding on the salmon you've done that and you've done the people that are working with the salmon, or so is it the hatcheries they've got out there yeah
1: yeah um so they've they've got i mean they've I believe they got hatcheries here as well, um, but yeah, the hatcheries are, are quite a big part of that story out in the Pacific Northwest. Rather ambitiously, I, I decided to try to take on uh, salmon as a whole, um, rather than just kind of narrow down onto onto one specific um, subject of that. So, the um, it's it's quite a a big story, uh, and it's quite a big big bite, I guess, if if you will, um, to try and 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 tackle but they uh so I was, I was trying to look at at many different things that that plague salmon that um that, they are contributing to their decline and that in itself you know you could just pick out one thing and and do a, a pretty pretty big piece on that uh, in itself
0: have you seen the 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 film artificial i have yeah You've seen that yet?
1: Yeah. yeah i was actually at the not to spoil or anything there is a in the protest that they film at the at the end i was actually there at that at the time they were filming that
0: oh really so you you might be put in the background somewhere of that film <laughs>
1: um no no I, I definitely had a hard look uh, and didn't make any um didn't make any any appearances but um one of my friends in high school just happened to be floating by in one of his in his kayak
0: i mean so if, if anyone if anyone listens to this they haven't seen the film it's called artificial i think it's on youtube so you don't have to pay to watch it you can watch it for free it's an incredible film and it's a real eye-opener into the story of hatcheries in america and they were kind of started with good good intentions but how they uh, maybe aren't helping the salmon as much as you as you might think so I, I find it really fascinating i mean the we we do kind of have hatcheries in the uk but nowhere near the scale of of what you've got in america and um i think there's only there's not many left i think in scotland there's there's a handful left and they're trying to phase them out slowly so we're, we're not quite on the scale of, of of what you guys have got but um, yeah, it was a real eye opener for me. It was a it was an amazing uh, amazing film. So obviously, at the minute you're not doing much, but what what kind of projects have you been have you been working on?
1: Um, I've I've been on a uh, well. So the reason why we actually didn't meet uh, at that final exhibition here in Bristol was um, because I, I while I was out shooting that final project, I ran into some guy um, who was who was filming his own film uh, on salmon, um, and I just uh happened to meet him in the middle of a river um after yeah as you do um uh after not seeing anybody for like three days and and he came over to me and and was asking about the camera that i had and um and he uh i guess i i didn't see him but he put his his rig down underwater and then and walked back and, and had a chat with me and um we got along really well and uh he's he's a great guy and um He's done a lot of his his stuff up in Alaska, but I was out on I. He asked me to come back um, and help him film a uh, a short film on Grayling actually, um, in Montana. So I that's I had flown out for that uh, project, which is why I wasn't at that uh, to to meet you. So I've I've done a few projects with with him. Um, Pioneers uh, Studios is is um, his company, and I think they're, they're now they're based out of Texas. Um, But he he does a lot of conservation films um, and has done quite a bit uh, uh, surrounding salmon. Uh, I worked a bit with him, um, and then I was a part of uh, Wild Screen's Back from the Brink campaign video series with uh, Neil Aldridge. And then I guess just on a... uh, Oh, and I've been um, helping uh, Luke Massey uh, a little bit on his um, Last Song of the Nightingale uh, film. In the background, slowly 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 taking over um thinking of, of personal projects specifically around salmon
0: yeah it's tricky to the personal projects one of those things i mean certainly i found as as i've gone along i, I do less and less as a, as i'd like to although i suppose this all this going on i've kind of found myself only doing personal projects now so i've mostly just been in my shed with a big aquarium filming stuff out in my pond because so i've got it's either that or stare at the wall and go slightly insane so I'm trying to keep myself busy with that but um, yeah, I think that's great that you you're keeping busy with all that kind of stuff. So correct me if I'm wrong. There's five species of Pacific salmon. Mm-hmm. So was was there a favourite species, or could is it hard to choose, or was it maybe not a salmon? Was it something else that you that you really liked?
1: That's that's really challenging because um, each each one is pretty different. I didn't uh, out of all of them, I spent the least amount of time with coho, and I think that would have been a pretty fun species to spend more time with um they're the ones in their spawning phase the males have that really droopy nose uh, called a kype and their their coloring is really cool um i i spent i think the most amount of time with pink salmon i know that i think from an angling perspective people seem to to really kind of steer away from them um but i guess from a photographic perspective they look just really funky um, so they,
0: they don't get very big do they the pink so are they no, the smaller they- one
1: yeah, they're the smallest one, but they've got that um they're also known as humpies uh, because the the males uh during their spawning phase get that massive hump and they to me they just like the most prehistoric. But in terms of color, you know, they're a bit kind of bland I I'd, I'd say. They get this sort of like pale green color to them, but um we
0: have had a few turn up in the UK. I think we talked about this actually, didn't we? But a few a few pink salmon for the last sort of four or five years have been showing up in British rivers now.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I've I've read a couple of pieces on that. I think I think yours was actually one of them that I that I did read on that, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, without blowing my own horn, yeah, I did do a little <laughs> piece in BBC Wildlife on them. But yeah, they're uh, they've been turning up since the '70s, but the last four or five years, people are really noticing them, and they they're kind of going up every two-year cycle, isn't it? I think
1: the odd seasons actually, or like the odd odd number of years. So 2017, 2019, 2021 be the the next kind of like big cycles i I think we get them we get them every year but in that's like their largest right
0: i'm with you but there so there was no there was no fish that that got you not excited that's the wrong word but you know there was no that you were like wow this is you know this is pretty awesome
1: i think they were mostly there were moments uh rather than the, the fish themselves um i think for for me uh one or two moments i think in particular stand out to me the most um and it, and one of them it was just um i was actually focusing more on on photographing the the water really than than the fish the fish were um were you know quote unquote behaving quite well uh in that they were they were kind of just chilling there in the water um and they d- really didn't mind me um and and at one point i found myself you know, if you can imagine somebody completely sprawled out in, in the prone position, laying flat on their stomach, uh, half in, in the water, half out of the water, and kind of their arms up, um, uh, up above their head. I had maybe five, five um, pink salmon kind of all around me, and, and they would swim up, and then the current would slowly drop them back down, um, and about two or three of them were actually coming Rather than dropping down in front of my camera, which is what I was hoping they would do, uh, a few of them were were dropping down between my face and the camera, um, and so at that point I was kind of trying not to disturb them, obviously, um, to to startle them. Otherwise, I'd get slapped in the face with a, a fish fin.
0: Quite quite a unique uh, <laughs> situation to be in. That I suppose, apart from me and you, not many people can identify that with <laughs> yeah.
1: that. Yeah, no, I can't. I can't uh, really picture anybody else really bringing that up, maybe over a, a pub conversation, but. Oh,
0: maybe you know I will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. Um, so, I mean, that kind of brings me on to my next question, which what, what are the challenges of filming Pacific salmon? Because I, I watch some of these programs because they're relatively well documented. And it, you see these guys sitting in the river and there's loads of salmon all around them. And I just wish Atlantic salmon were like that because they're so, they're so spooky. You dip your toe in the water and phew, they're off. They don't want to know. But they obviously, it can't all be easy. There must be some challenges with, with filming Pacific salmon as well.
1: Oh, certainly. Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely, uh, some challenges with it. I, I think the biggest thing was when I first started, it was sort of figuring out how to approach them because obviously, um, they would just kind of rock it off if, you know, if, if they saw you on the, on the shores and, and that kind of just became, uh, if, if there's no way of really like, you know, uh, approaching them, um, without them seeing you, that was, I guess, um, perhaps to be expected that they were, they were going to, shoot off um but they were they always came back that was the other thing is like i there was never an instance where they they swam off and then they they stayed away um and it kind of just took uh, a lot of waiting um which you know as, as you're well aware for wildlife photography that's kind of just the name of the game but it, it was it was a matter of sort of sitting around 35 45 an hour uh in in the water and just not you know not moving pretending to be a rock Uh, until they they would come back um so it's picking out a a red but making sure to not obviously go into the red or you know staying far enough back to where you weren't going to disturb that red and uh for for those who don't know what a red is it's it's uh, a salmon nest
0: and you're in a dry suit while you're doing all this
1: (laughs) no i i uh i hadn't invested in a dry suit at this point so i was just sitting in a seven mil um and so that kind of capped how long i was really able to (laughs) Oh, draw! Well,
0: you're you're tougher than me, Austin. Then yeah, I'd have bailed <laughs> way before.
1: <laughs> uh no, it was um. I, I think every, as soon as you go numb, it's kind of like well, I mean, as soon as you start shaking and and you're no longer getting solid shots at that point, then it's kind of like all right, well, you might as well just. When
0: hyperthermia just starts to set in, that's <laughs> yeah. when you think I oh, better get out now.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that was that was kind of the best. I, I really loved that because um, that I for that project I um. I used my family van and kind of just lived out of that for a while. So I'd, I'd go back to the car and, and turn the heater on full blast and try and change um, while not letting people who are walking by obviously see. Um, and, uh, and then just kind of, yeah, take it day by day and up with the sun, down with the sun. It was a, it was a really nice kind of way of life to, to be, you know, uh, all things considered, uh, being cold and stuff. It was, it was really nice.
0: No, sounds awesome. Sounds absolutely awesome. Um, so, what what problems do the do they face? I mean, it's not all kind of well watching artificial. You can see there's there's quite a few things that they've got. But like, what are the main issues that are facing uh, the, the salmon?
1: Um, yeah. So the the main issues, um, uh, they're basically suffering a death of a, a thousand cuts, is what. Um, what a lot of people have have said um and it's not just you know one thing it's it's an accumulation of many different things uh large and small that kind of add up to their um uh, to their decline um so like uh, habitat destruction you know um i think historic historically deforestation has has contributed to their decline um hatcheries like like you'd see an artificial um they explain that uh, hatcheries are are not helping wild salmon um and then Salmon aquaculture has also um, become quite a uh, a big contributor in the last uh, I don't know um, thirty years or so. I think has has come to be a, a large contributor to to their decline with their um, because of the the sea lice um, that kind of grows out of control there or, or exists out of control in in, in these farms, um, which threaten wild stocks because usually these fish farms are, are in the, um, the path of, of migrating wild salmon. So the salmon will, wild salmon swim past them. They contract sea lice and, and other diseases that are kind of leaching out from these farms. Um, and then, obviously, uh, barriers. So weirs, hydroelectric dams, um, just uh, blatant blockages to, to a river.
0: It's interesting because a lot of that applies to Atlantic salmon as well. It's, it's the same problems, but different sides of the world. So it just goes to show we're in a way we're making the same mistakes, aren't we as well in two, two different places.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately that's, that's, um, you know, money, money speaks. Um, and then obviously with, with dams, it's, it's difficult because um, you know, people obviously depend on if, uh, depend on hydroelectric power um, at least uh, you know, where I'm from. So um, it's kind of a a tricky situation where where some people uh, rely on them for for work, but then also uh, quite a few people rely on them for electricity. But then also, you're in doing in doing that, uh, you're disrupting the natural flow of, of of life and nutrients up and down the rivers, and and you're causing some pretty catastrophic harm to the environment. And there there've been mitigations, like they've they've tried to mitigate that with you know putting in salmon ladders. Uh, or fish ladders to two dams um, to even shipping uh fish over the dams or rocketing them through uh tubes over the dams to that's, that's
0: the salmon cannon isn't it yeah yeah I love, I love the odd. idea of that
1: <laughs> <laughs> kind of uh yeah it's a bit um it's a bit interesting to see and, and kind of um uh well yeah it kind of makes you scratch your head a bit but so that's that's kind of the the things that are um trying to be done to Maybe help mitigate this problem but you know the they're still they're still declining and they're um yeah they're still facing a lot of a lot of issues another one would be like road runoff um so you know every time you you if you've got a leak in your car or something that's getting into the waterways and and that affects more than just salmon it's that's our um our freshwater and marine environments
0: yeah it's it's a it's interesting i mean i suppose you use salmon as a keystone species but what's good for the salmon is good for for most other stuff as well isn't it mm,
1: yeah yeah definitely
0: so i'm going to end on this last question which is basically what what have you got coming up have you got any upcoming projects or anything that you're working on that that's worth a mention
1: at the moment uh well I, yeah i mean i guess kind of silver lining for this um this uh, lockdown i guess is is the ability to kind of turn my attention more towards personal projects and and i'm still kind of formulating there's a number of smaller i guess ideas all again surrounding salmon Um, both here and in um, here being the UK and then um, back in North America back where I live um, there's just small films that I'd love to to do uh, about people conserving salmon and and there's some stories around here that I'd love to to um, to do but yeah there's um, uh, yeah there's there's a few different um, stories up in I think Scotland but also uh, over here in in Wales uh, or just cross bridge in Wales so Hopefully, maybe by the time um, we're, we're kind of out of this uh, lockdown, uh, I'll be able to kind of uh, reconnect with those guys over there and and, um, and talk to them more about um, salmon.
0: Sounds good to me. Well, look, thanks for taking the time to talk to me, Austin, and stay safe with it all.
1: Oh, thank you very much, and, and right back at you, man. I, I hope you're, you're staying safe through this whole thing as well, and uh, let's stay in touch.
0: So that was Austin Ferguson talking about his work with Pacific salmon and moves of underwater stuff. So that brings me on to Nature Reserve of the Week. And I was trying to think, how can I tie Nature Reserve to salmon? And there are lots and lots of places across the UK where you can go and watch salmon leaping. You've got Shrewsbury Ware on the Severn, or closer to me, there's Cromwell Ware on the Trent. But I think Scotland has some of the best areas to watch leaping salmon, like the Falls of Shin and Pitlochry. Uh, Dam, Fish Ladder are very good places but I'm going to go with a place called Rogie Falls which is kind of more towards Inverness, that neck of the woods and that's where I'm going to recommend you go. Now they've got something called the Salmon Trail which is a moderate walk of about half a mile and that should take you about 20 minutes or there's the Riverside Trail which is about three quarters of a mile and a bit more strenuous but you get to see more of the river. Now you come to a car park, it's a free car park, relatively small. Um, there are toilets in the summer and there's also a picnic area there as well. Then you walk down this track, probably takes about 5-10 minutes to get to. Uh, quite a nice bridge, beautiful bridge which shows off Rogie Falls beautifully. And then a path gets you a bit closer to the falls. Obviously be very careful near the edge, as you certainly don't want to fall in there because you ain't getting out again. But you can follow that track um, along to the river. Now if you want to see salmon leaping, the best time of the year is August or September at Rocky Falls, and you've got a pretty good chance of seeing them jump up the black water. Um it's fairly peaty river, so the underwater stuff for me wasn't great there. I did I did go a couple of years ago to film in there, I did see salmon, but it wasn't particularly gin clear. But for seeing them jump, it's a pretty good spot. Apart from salmon, there's lots of wildflowers along the bank. I actually saw a hummingbird hawk moth, which I was really shocked. So you're a little bit little bit lost, but I saw that. Um, and I went out with the bailiff, Ed, who took me to show some of the spots where the, where the salmon are. Now, if you want to get salmon leaping, no matter where you are in the country, you need to be looking for a decent descent on the river. Because salmon are pretty powerful. They'll just power up um, you know, a relatively uh, slow incline. But if there's somewhere where there's fast water and it's pretty steep, then that's where you've got the best chance of getting a leaping shot. Time of year will largely depend whereabouts on the river you are. So if you're in the lower reaches then earlier in the year is going to be better for leaping. If you're on the upper reaches, then later in the year is going to be better because you can get salmon leaping at most times of the year. Everyone always assumes it's an autumnal thing, but they leap all year. It's just when you've got to be there at the right time uh, to get it. Just after rain is perfect. But again, too much rain and it'll be too fast for the salmon to leap and too little and there won't be enough water. So timing is key. More than anything else I've tried to film, leaping salmon is one of the trickiest. Timing is so key. But in theory... You can get leaping shots of salmon on any river if there are salmon present, obviously. So my final thoughts on this, uh, Austin's work is absolutely incredible. If you've not seen it, check out his website. There's some incredible images of Pacific salmon. I'm, I'm really hoping to, to get out there myself at some point in my career. But he's done some fantastic work and it's great to see uh, that he's keeping busy during, during all of this. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed this and I'll catch you next time. Cheers.